following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. There are some stories that are really hard to tell. Some stories are hard to tell simply because, well, the details are too painful. If you've talked to somebody who's experienced uh, something quite traumatic, it's hard for them to recount everything, especially when it's close to the event itself, because it stirs up all of those very challenged and traumatic emotions and thoughts. The experience has had such an effect on them that it's hard for them to even walk through it again because it's too close. It's too bothersome. That can happen when a loved one dies, especially if it's been traumatic or tragic. That can happen if somebody is scared almost to death. That can happen if someone has had a terrible experience that robbed them of some joy. Maybe a relationship was torn in two, a marriage was fractured. There's something that happened in the family. Maybe it could even even be something that happened at work. No matter what it is, there are some stories that are hard to tell. And yet when those stories are hard to tell, it's it's really hard also to hear someone tell us that it's okay Maybe someday you will be able to. It's going to get better. We talked about that right at the beginning, right? When people promise us that things are going to get better, we really want to believe them. I mean, nobody wants to sit around in misery for the rest of their lives, always feeling those very, very tense emotions. Nobody wants that. But do we always believe that? You see, we don't just believe anyone when they tell us it's going to get better. We need to believe in that very someone who can make that something better in the end. Point us to an assurance that we don't just kind of hope for and cross our fingers, but an assurance that we know we have even now. That's what the series is all about. Life with a promise or life with promise. All of the promises that God has made and kept in Jesus Christ is our life now and it is our life forever. And so even when we look at the challenges of this life, we still live our lives wrapped up in Christ, no matter if this world says things are cursed, no matter if it seems like we are losing, no matter if it seems like all is destitute and lost. And this is the story, then, that we get to tell. It's a story that we get to tell about the saints of old and even our loved ones. And even through challenging voice, challenged voice and even tears, we can still tell this story of God's better that is yet to come. It's a better that we even get to experience here and now. So do you want to know what that is? And do you want to know how God gives that to you and why you can rest securely even through tears and everything God provides? I invite you to have that reading open if you're able to. Go ahead and hit pause and or or have a Bible near grab a Bible nearby and open up to Hebrews chapter eleven, that reading that I shared earlier, verses thirty-two to forty. Hebrews eleven, thirty-two to forty. Now in the context of Hebrews, he's writing to Christians who were undergoing suffering. Suffering especially in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, but they, they were suffering all throughout the Mediterranean world. And for what? Well, for following a savior who they knew to be true, even though the world was not willing to accept it. And so leading up to this chapter in chapter 11, the writer to the Hebrews is now encouraging their faith by pointing them to heroes of the past, saints of old, who lived out the faith even in the face of persecution, in the face of promises that were hard to believe, 
in the face of circumstances that would otherwise lead people to set their faith aside. He points to these people. And towards the end, then, these lesser popular people, although David's pretty popular, but some of these lesser popular people are, are mentioned, and some are even referenced, not by name, as people that we should look to. And so with, with each of them, he highlights something that happened that was of great benefit to them. This better that they, this better reality that they longed for. So, so who does he mention? He mentions some people who were in that period of the judges. The period of the judges was before the, the, the time when God's people came into the promised land, but there were no kings. And so God provided these judges to rule. The challenge was that everyone, God's people, was doing as they see fit, not just because they had freedom, so to speak. That's not it. Spiritually, morally, they were doing as they saw fit and in a bad way. And yet every single time, and there's this cycle that recurs through the book of Judges, God would send one of these leaders, guys like Gideon and Samson and others, to lead God's people back. And although they faced challenges and enemies and opponents that were far greater in size or strength and number, God would work through that in order to bring his people back. It was all about God, the faith that they had. It wasn't about them their subjective faith, how much they trusted, it was who they trusted in. Who was their God? And so he mentions some of them. He even mentions others, those that were saved, who shut the mouths of lions. You know who he's talking about there. He's talking about Daniel. Remember Daniel was thrown into the lions then? And Daniel spent the entire night in there and the king came back and opened it up because he had kind of gotten tricked into this rule. And he didn't want Daniel to die, and he opened it up, and Daniel said that, yeah, the, the Lord shut their mouths. You think about the ones who quenched those fiery flames. He's talking to, about people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they told the king to his face, you know what? We trust that our God is going to save us, but even if he doesn't, we are never going to kneel to you, because he will redeem us and save us in the end. They don't pretend to know the will of God, but they trust that he's going to save them. But even if not, they know that they have eternal life with God in the end. And, and there, it goes on and on and on. There are so many people. And in so many ways, these people who were either at death's door, or in some cases, they were people who were brought back to life. Look at what happened with all of these people. It didn't matter what was going on in the world. You think of people who were brought back from the dead, even in the New Testament time, people like Lazarus, or there was the widow of Zarephath in the Old Testament. There, there were people where Elijah went and raised the son back to, to life. There were people like the, the widow of Nain, when Jesus walked right into that town and gave this widow back her son who had just died. There were so many other times when there were people who were dead, and yet God in his wisdom at times decided to bring them back to life. It says, women receive back their dead, raised to life again. Isn't that wonderful? And wouldn't that be great if God would just do that to all of us? I mean, if you think about it, it would be just absolutely wonderful if God in all of his wisdom would just do that, right? As we are trudging along here in life and there's stories that are hard for us to share, I mean, as a pastor, it's hard to share some of the stories of some of the saints here at Living Savior who've gone to be in heaven. Being with some several families in those waning hours as God was getting closer and closer to end their life here 
and to begin their reality forever in heaven? It's wonderful to think about their joy in heaven, and yet it's still a challenge to think about how hard that is was to say uh, farewell for them for now here in this life. And isn't that also the case for each and every one of our families? There are loved ones that we miss. There are husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, grandparents, aunts and uncles, even children. And even thinking about them might be hard for us to tell their story. To tell the story of the things that happened long ago, to even tell the story maybe of the way that God called them home to heaven. It might be through a challenged voice or through tears that we would struggle to tell their story, even if we had to, even, well, that is if we could in some cases. And we kind of wonder, why doesn't God just give them back to us like he did for others? What, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if it was like Lazarus, where, where Jesus just walked right up to their grave and said, come out, called them by name and said, come out, and, and out they came. If he just walked right over to their grave or when they were in the coffin, or regardless if they were cremated, and he just walked right over. And he could touch whatever, he could say whatever, and everything has to listen, even the dead, and, they, and they, they're raised back to life. But you see, there's one problem with thinking that way, and it's not easy to talk about. But the problem is that God in his wisdom has given us something far better than just our loved ones back to us. What you first have to know is that God has given our loved ones exactly what he has eternally promised them. It is the nothing can be better than rea this reality in heaven. And that is where they are. They are with our God and Savior right here, right now, not missing anything from this world because everything in this world is not quite where it should be. Heaven is that far greater, far better, best hardly even describes it. And so, that doesn't necessarily help us when we think it would be great if God would just give them back to us. And yet, would it? Would it be better? God in his wisdom does things his ways. That's what makes him God. But Look closely at this portion of God's word, Hebrews chapter 11. There's a first reference when he uses the word better that we need to key into. He says, there were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. You see, in some cases, God allowed people like David and, and to, to gain a, a better existence and reality here in life even though he was pursued by King Saul, even though he was hated, even though his own son tried to kill him. So many threats against his life, God allowed him to succeed. And yet what ended up happening to David? He still ended up dying. Jonathan, that great friendship that David and Jonathan had, Jonathan was the son to the king, trusted in God's plan no matter what. And what did that cost him? He died young. A terrible death. Lost what would have been his kingdom. Loved his father, yet in a way lost his father. Loved his friend David, and yet in a way lost his friend David through his early death. And yet what did he get? A far greater reality. The resurrection unto eternal life. You see, no matter what happens in this life, there are some people who, even though they faced challenges, even though they faced death's door, maybe even they were dead and brought back to life, and they got something better here. And in some cases, that didn't happen, or God didn't raise them or they were tortured, or they were killed, 
or they were sawed into. I, I think of someone, history kind of suggests, more than suggests that it was the prophet Isaiah who was sawed into. Is, is that what's going to happen to God's preachers, that they're just sawed into and not brought back? Well, that's the worst. Wouldn't it be better if you brought back to, to life? If our hope and our life rests in whether or not we get to keep on living and have success in this life, that will lead to three D's, probably in order. It will lead to disappointment. It will lead to severe, multifaceted depression. Emotional, but certainly search, uh, spiritual. And it will lead to being completely devastated. If our hope is simply that God would just give us back or give others back to us, and then we get to live, doesn't that all rest in our idea of what God should do with life and how this place is somehow going to become better? But that's not true. It's not true because, first of all, look around you. Is this place getting any better? And then second of all, look at what he says. He says, there were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. The better that God provides is not here and now. It is the resurrection forever in heaven. And when God creates a new heavens and a new earth, and we are all united as one, that better resurrection is far greater than here and now. Because let's say God would give our loved ones back to us. They would be back with us still for a time. That's always time stamped. And that's not really a life with a promise. Because a life with a promise trusts in God's plan for us. But to think, man, if only God would do this. And if God really, if only he made it different. And if only they were still here. And I wish, and I trusted, and I prayed, and I hoped for. And there's one common denominator in all of those phrases. And they're very common. I share them. It's I. But our faith does not determine what God does. Our faith simply rests with whatever God chooses to do. Our faith does not dictate God as though he follows our plan. Our faith follows God no matter his plan and no matter the path here and now because we know where it ultimately ends. It ends in the only place that is truly and forever better. And that's sometimes hard. And, and by sometimes, I don't just mean like some days, sometimes, and we'll kind of snap out of it. Kind of like the reference at the beginning, you know, well, maybe it'll get better someday. That's not what I'm referring to at all. Rather, we know that it's going to get even better because of the promise, the, the one who made that promise and even keeps it for us forever. So if you and I live for here and now, all we're going to see is disappointment. All we're going to experience is depression. All we're going to result in is devastation. But this life with a promise and the greater resurrection that God does give us keeps us ever hopeful and mindful of the reality that is to come. That is where our loved ones are now. I mean, think of it. Of all the things that we miss and of all the things that we wish and hope that they could still experience, the one thing that they still have is everything that we think they miss here on earth but it's far better. Of all the things that we think we could give to them, that love and affection and appreciation, those experiences, all of that, they have that in heaven, but it's better. Of all the things that we really long for and hope for, that, that if only God would, no, 
God doesn't call us to trust in him only insofar as he does what we suggest. He calls us to trust in him because he ultimately provides that better. And so here is the next question. Not only what is this better, it's this resurrection that is far greater in heaven. It is not this place. He's given it to the saints just as he's given it to these others, these others of old who were willing to be sacrificed, whether they came through it at some point in time or not, that better is for them. He also gives that to you and me now. And so how is it that you and I can know and can experience this better reality and live a life with promise? Well, I'd like to point you, point to you, point you, excuse me, to verses 39 and 40 once again. There the writer to the Hebrews says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something far better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You see, they didn't receive what was promised. They, they never received what was promised. There was something better that they were hoping for, this faith that was inevitably going to be blessed. Why and how? Verse 40 says, and we have this something better. Since God had planned something better for us. Well, what is that? It's entirely better. Do you know what it is? It's the understanding of what God has been preparing all along in Jesus Christ. I mean, all of these people in the Old Testament, what did they really see? They knew that God was sending the, the Savior, the Messiah. But they don't know what you and I know. We see this plan carried out. We see everything accomplished in Christ. And so how can you know without a shadow of a doubt that God is going to work through the challenges and he's going to enable us to persevere th through the struggles and it's going to be worth it? Look nowhere farther and nowhere else than Jesus Christ. For didn't God accomplish absolutely everything that is always and forever better in Christ? He endured hell so we would forever experience something that is not just better than hell, but even better than this life, heaven. He took away our sins so we would have a reality that is far greater than the guilt we experience now, heaven. He experienced our shame and he took our death so we, even though we might pass through death, would only experience but a nap, a nap-like experience as we're brought to eternal life in heaven, which is far better. All of this God has given to us. And, and yeah, you might think, great, if only I could really live that way. If only I could, I could live like these other people, except you can and you do. You see these other people, you know what they get to experience in heaven? First thing, they get to experience our loved ones who, got to, to, who get to join them. And also, you get to experience that too. Because Jesus gives you this reality of his resurrection, this is not just a reviving so that we can live in a temporary existence again. This is a resurrection for eternal life. And so you know what that means with your loved ones whom you miss? You get them back. You get them back. And they, you. And since you get each other back, and you and I get to join all of these people together, which is exactly what verse 40 talks about, then this far greater reality is something that we live with even now. And you might suggest, well, yeah, okay, so I'm going to live like some of these guys, like Daniel and face lions? And I'm going to have faith like those three men in the fiery furnace? Or like Gideon and be willing to face a terrifying 
uh, opponent, an army that is far bigger, stronger, and far more vast than anything I have at my disposal? First of all, they're made of the same stuff. They're human, just like us, and they have the same faith. Not, not the same insofar as we're measuring how much we, str we strive and how strong we are. That's not what makes our faith strong. They're made of the same stuff because of what we all have faith in, the same God. And so you and I can live this life of promise, no matter what we face. Because, as the writer says, God has planned something better for us. We can see how all of that is carried out. We look no farther than Jesus Christ. I mean, don't we have everything to learn from those saints that were listed before? Guys like Daniel, no matter what's happening in politics, where does our faith ultimately rest? Shouldn't we live that way? Guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no matter who's in office, no matter who's saying what, we still know what we will say as God's people. Shouldn't we live that way? Guys like Isaiah, who are willing to share God's word and speak his truth, no matter how unfavorable it was at the time. Isn't that pretty relevant for us? Shouldn't we live that way? But we don't just have something to learn from those saints when we think of the saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament in the Bible. We have something to learn when it comes to the saints that we know from our own day, from our own history. Don't they have a story? Even if it's hard to tell at times, it's good to relive those stories because those people, their entire life is wrapped up not just in a story that we tell, but it's in a life of promise. A life of promise that is now realized in heaven, but a life of promise that has everything to do with the life we live by faith here and now. I think of some of the people that have gone to heaven here at Living Savior. I think of one lady in particular. She was in hospice, and her husband just left, and she hadn't talked almost the entire week. Her heart rate was slowing. The nurse said she's getting really close to dying. Her husband was crying, and I met him in the entryway as he was on his way out. He said, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I've been here all day. And I said, it's okay. It's okay, Richard. And I went to go see his wife, Emma. And when I walked in there, she was lying on her side, and I just sat on her bed. And experience shows, not just mine, but many others, that hearing is the last thing to go. But I'll never forget that even though she hadn't talked that entire week and was declining, and she looked it, I said some, I shared some familiar passages, the Lord's Prayer, and then sang one of her favorite songs. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. And you know what? She started singing along. I kid you not. And although I might find it hard to share that story for a lot of reasons. I think the last thing on her lips, the last words out of her mouth, was telling the story about her Savior and the place he has prepared for her. I could tell a story about a man by the name of Hal, a helicopter pilot, a veteran. And Hal was not a man of many words, but of mighty deeds. He could do a lot and serve a lot and never wanted any credit. He'd make sure to come by church, 
especially when our Asheville location was being built and would serve when maybe only one other person was here. Maybe. He hated the idea that people took pictures of him working. That's the kind of guy he was. But when he was dying at home, one of the last things he said, and his wife confirmed it, I can't wait to be home. That's a life of promise. Some of the last words out of his mouth. I think of another man by the name of Adrian. When he was dying, one of the last things that his family wanted, and he, of course, wanted too, was that he would receive the Lord's Supper together with his entire family. And so one of the last things that he did was receive the promise and the reception of God's forgiveness in the Lord's Supper, according to our Savior's own word. That's living a life of promise. It's not doing big, showy things. God never says he's going to put us before lions, although he might. He's never, he never says we might face a fiery furnace, although we may. He's not saying we were going to face armies, or we might face courts and judges who were trying to silence us, or even persecute us according to our faith, although we might. But we have something far better. It's not about us. It's a life of promise that rests in what our Savior has done as God has revealed it. And so we live with our eyes focused on heaven. This great reality that God has prepared, and he will never let us down. And so that story, the story of all the saints that have gone before us, and even our story, is a story that we must and must, must tell. Not only for the younger generations before us, but for the generations to come. Because it has everything to do, not with us, but the one who promises and is faithful and gives us that always and forever reality that is eternally better. God grant that to us all. Amen.